This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Right now, job openings in October took a jump while resignations declined. Joining us with the latest details, Carl Riccadonna, chief U.S. economist at Bloomberg, based in New York. Uh, Carl, let's talk about job openings here. So what does it say if more employers are posting more jobs to try to hire people? Well, if we if we look at the data, the number of openings has just increased exponentially over the course of the last uh, several months. So there is a, a huge amount of job uh, vacancies uh, in the market, and employers are really struggling to fill those vacancies. Uh, so what that tells us is that uh, this cycle of, of sweetening the offer, whether it's sign-on bonuses or flexibility or ultimately higher wages, uh, that trend, which has been uh, picking up pretty significantly uh, in 2021, is going to only further extend uh, into uh, next year. And we can already see this in uh, companies' earnings calls and whatnot, uh, where they're uh, setting aside cash uh, and funds for uh, uh, giving workers uh, pretty decent raises uh, over the course of uh, next year to either attract or retain talent. Yeah. How important is it that they retain that talent in a, in a time where they're really struggling to get new people? Uh, it's very expensive to go through the job search process uh, and land new employees and then ultimately train them. Uh, so, uh, it, it, you know, retention is a very significant factor for uh, for a lot of uh, uh, business uh, lines, and uh, and we can see businesses taking the effort to to try to uh, put a lid on uh, the retention uh, problems, uh, over, you know, over the foreseeable future. And talk about uh, resignations. I mean, a lot of resignations over the last few months, and yet at least it's trending downward. Well, I don't know if we can say trending downward. It did decline in the latest months, but uh, it still is at uh, an exceptionally high level if we look at something called the, the quits rate. Uh, so that tells us that workers, uh, while they uh, quit at a slightly slower pace uh, in the month of October, uh, still uh, have the confidence to uh, make job changes. And in fact, if we look at uh, recent data from uh, uh, Fed surveys, uh, we can see workers who uh, quit a job uh, to move into a, a new job uh, actually have seen bigger pay increases over the course of the last year uh, compared to those who have stayed in a position. So uh, as long as that dynamic exists, you're going to see that quit rate at an elevated level, which feeds back into this whole uh, job retention issue. Talk about the challenge to the wider economy of having so many employers needing more workers while at the same time having so many workers quitting their jobs and, and so many others just staying on the sidelines. Well, this is sowing the seeds of uh, potential labor inflation issues. So I don't think we're uh, by any means uh, going into a 1970s era kind of wage price spiral, uh, but we're seeing a much uh, lighter version of that uh, transpiring in the economy at the moment and, and likely to extend into uh, next year as well. If you if you take all of these uh, labor indicators we're talking about uh, and look at what the implications are for the unemployment rate, it's telling you that the unemployment rate is going to head below 4% uh, sometime 
sometime uh, early in uh, 2022. And once we get below 4%, uh, then that does start to raise the concern of policymakers that uh, it's it's uh, potentially time to take the uh, proverbial punch bowl away from the party. Thanks so much for the insight. Carl Riccadonna, Chief U.S. Economist at Bloomberg. Always a challenge to stay within your budget when shopping for holiday gifts. We turn to Chicago-based business writer Jennifer Waters for advice on creating a strategy to keep you from going too far into debt. Uh, Jennifer, I mean, what what about just not buying gifts for anyone? Is that a is that a pretty good strategy? <laughs> that might be an option for you. It is, however, it's not one for me. <laughs> you know me well. Yeah, you know that. me well. All right. So what what should we do here if we don't want to get into too much debt? Well, you know, and here's the thing is that, you know, Credit Karma, for example, is saying one in three Americans take on debt during the holidays. I think that that number is much higher considering we're using credit cards. Credit cards itself is debt. That is debt. You're taking it on. And, you know, you still have to pay it off no matter when you do. But there's a couple ways to do it. And, and obviously one of the easiest ways or the thing you should do first and foremost is make a list. Check out, you know, do inventory. Who do I have to buy for? Um, and you could do this one of two ways. You can make a list. Who do I have to buy for? How much do I think I want to spend? And then put your budget together based on that. Or you can do the reverse. Here's my budget. I've got X amount of dollars to spend. And um, and I know in your case, Cisco, it's a big, big cap. It really is. I know that. <laughs> um, and then put your list together after that. Someone's been and lying so, to you. Uh, so uh, <laughs> let, Let's talk about it because we've sort of moved into, uh, over the last several years, in, into sort of an, uh, an ex, uh, the experience economy where people don't necessarily want stuff. They, they want experiences. Is that a way to save money? You, you take everyone out to dinner or, or something like that well you could save money that way um i actually think some of that might be more expensive we you know we've done experiences for friends and family you know for the last few years and some of that stuff is really pricey i mean you might be better off just running out and buying a cute sweater you know whatever you're getting or even a piece of jewelry you know that kind of thing a lot of this stuff too is you know you know it, it, it Everything with the holidays, too, it's like I said, we're, you know, we're talking about credit cards here and everyone's using credit cards. And that's why you need to be really careful, because some credit cards, you know, the interest rates, those that's what's really going to kill you. If you if you, you know, rack up a bunch of expenses and you pay it all off in January, you're good. You're not paying the interest rate. But if you're if you're planning to kind of spread the payments out or you end up going way over your budget because, you know, we're hitting that last minute shopping period. You wait, go, go way over your budget and you try to, you know, spread it out. Those interest rates, you know, you know, bank rate is saying those interest rates average about 16%. I think on some of these cards, some of these retail cards, those averages are more like 25%, even 30%. So that's the thing you really, really got to be careful of, no matter whether you're buying an experience or an actual gift. So what happens if you get to the uh, end and you realize that you have overspent, you did blow the budget, uh, I guess you just pay it off over a period of many months? Well, one of the things you should think about doing, and again, this gets back to the whole interest rate issue, is is prioritize your payments. So if you have, if you if you put a bunch of stuff on a retail department store credit card, for example, and that that interest rate is going to be larger than maybe your you know your one you know Chase or Venture card that you use, you know pay pay that one down faster than you might the others because it's it's the interest that's going to just keep adding up. So that's just one of the you know one of the things you really have to think about. But here's another thing to remember, too, when we're speaking of credit cards. You can use rewards. I typically save my rewards for flights 
But, you know, I didn't travel last year, and I've done very little flight travel this year. So those rewards are really piling up, and I've been able to use them to buy gifts, you know, sometimes for myself. But, you know, so you can use that, too. That's just another thing to think about in terms of, you know, how to pay off all this stuff. Thanks so much, Jennifer Waters, Chicago-based business writer. Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. With the start of a new year, time for celebrating. Also important, though, to focus on long-term financial goals, including your retirement, personal finance Wednesday. Ed Jertsen is here, certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago, online at engagewealthgroup.com. Uh, Ed, if you had to say you know, number one thing here at the end of the year when it comes to retirement, looking at those accounts, making changes, what's the number one thing we should do? Well, the number one thing is to kind of review your 401k plan at work, Cisco, because what you're trying to do is really set you up for long-term success in retirement. And a great way to start is by looking at what you have available to you within your company. And especially looking at the fact that if you have an ability to get a match, make sure you're maximizing that. And so if you are, if you're, uh, you know, if you're maximizing and not leaving that money on the table, um, what, what else do you do? You, you want to make sure that you're not playing around with that retirement account too much. And yet you also want to make sure that you're in some good investments. Yeah. So, so to have a year-end review of your investment allocation is always a good idea. You want that core 401k portfolio to be growing for the long term. So most likely for younger folks, more stocks than bonds, if you would. But the markets have had a really good run in the last two years. So by chance, if your allocation is too risky and you're not able to sleep at night given the volatility of the markets, go ahead and do what's known as a rebalancing and move some of that money into safer areas. But ultimately, we're looking at 10, 20, 30 years until retirement, and the stock market is a great place to be invested. Uh, what about health savings accounts? I, I hear about those quite often. Are those just for people with certain kind of, of uh, medical accounts, insurance accounts, or can anyone get involved in those? Yeah, you're, for insurance uh, purposes, for health insurance purposes, you have to have a plan that is HSA eligible. Not everybody can be involved in an HSA. And those tend to be more high deductible plans where you're basically paying more out of pocket. But the government gives you an incentive in these tax deferred, potentially tax free HSA accounts. And if you have an availability to that, if your company, you have that available to you, by all means, utilize that as well, because that's another great way to potentially help you with your health insurance costs and save more for the future. If you uh, maybe do not have a company 401k, do you, do you need to consider an IRA, get something stashed away? Absolutely. So if you need the deduction, you can make a con you can make a deductible contribution to your IRA. And if your income is low enough, you can make a Roth contribution. So basically, we've got a lot of tools available to us for long term success and retirement. Just look to see what might be as what might be the most advantageous to you. And looking and talking to a certified financial planner will definitely help in terms of helping you in that course. Thanks so much, Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner at Engage Wealth. Stocks mixed. Not much movement, though. The Dow down 60, NASDAQ up 64, and the S&P up three points. Let's see what's going on. Vahan Janjigian is here, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management. Vahan, always good to have you with us. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Hi, Cisco. Well, um, you know, as you know, we recently had a big sell-off sell -off in the market, and uh, I think uh, some investors uh, decided that it was overdone, um, and at least in the short term, and so they started coming back into the market. 
Um, I do still think stocks are a bit overvalued, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see more volatility. Um, but the sell-off we saw recently, in my opinion, had very little to do with the Omicron virus. Um, I think uh, investors knew that markets were high, and they were more concerned about uh, Federal Reserve policy. Uh, as you know, the Fed recently uh, indicated that they might speed up their plans to uh, taper and even raise interest rates uh, next year, and I think that's what caused the sell-off. Um, but now people are concluding that uh, you know even if the Fed uh, does speed up things a little bit, that's not necessarily bad for stocks, and uh, they're coming back into the market. And that uh, seems like that's pretty good for stock prices, at least over the long run, right? Yeah, I think I think that sell-off we saw last week uh, provided at least a short-term opportunity for people to uh, put some cash to work if they weren't fully invested. Um, but again, I, I do have to warn that uh, I think markets are a bit overvalued. Uh, if you look on, uh, you know, on a multiple basis and you take into consideration the um, the consumer price index, uh, I would say that we are uh, at a point where we're probably a little rich. And so uh, I would take some opportunities to, you know, sell some, some things on days that you have uh, strong rallies and perhaps uh, pick a few things up on days when you have big sell-offs. What do you do in order to combat inflation? What, what do you do to your investing strategy? Yeah, you know, I, there are two things that uh, you can do. Uh, one of them is to actually buy an I-bond. You can go to treasurydirect.gov. And, uh, and you can buy a bond. It's a savings bond issued by the federal government that's tied to the rate of inflation. It's currently yielding over 7%. Um, the bad news is that the most you can put into it is $10,000. So it's not a, a great way to hedge your entire portfolio if you have more assets than that. Um, otherwise, I would pick dividend-paying stocks of companies that have a track record of increasing their dividend because uh, if, the, if the dividends are increasing over time, uh, that is a hedge against inflation. Um, one of my favorites in that area is Verizon. Uh, it pays a very good yield, about 5%, um, and it's a relatively stable stock price, so it's all really more like a bond than a stock. And uh, they, have a, they have a record of increasing the dividend now for 15 years in a, in a row. So uh, I think that's a, a good way to go if you're really worried about inflation. So going forward, the tech sector, let's talk about that. I mean, they've been riding high for a long time. What do you think of tech stocks, uh, given the little volatility? Yeah, I think most tech stocks are overvalued. Um, of course, you know, there seems to be that exception of Apple. That stock's doing great, and uh, it held up really well during the recent sell-off, and it's setting new highs uh, pretty regularly. But uh, I think a lot of other tech stocks are, are a bit overvalued. I'd be a little cautious uh, jumping into tech with both feet. Um, you know, especially stocks like uh, some of these electric vehicle uh, makers have uh, unbelievable market capitalizations. And in my opinion, if you're really interested in electrical vehicles uh, at, a, at a reasonable price, you'd be better off going with Ford. You know, they have this uh, lightning pickup truck that's uh, expected to be a huge seller and Ford's still selling at a very reasonable price. Let's also talk about uh, travel stocks. Uh, you had the Omicron variant. They got hit really hard. Now it seems, at least initially, like this variant isn't going to be as significant as it was thought. Uh, is that something people should be looking at, the travel sector? Yeah, I think I think that's a good area to look at because, uh, as you say, um, I don't think this uh, Omicron virus, even if it is, 
um, bad. I don't think it's going to cause us to shut down the economy again. Um, the government is very opposed to doing that. I think they've learned their lesson the first time they shut down the economy. Uh, it's just something that we're going to have to live with. Uh, I would, you know, certainly urge everybody to get uh, vaccinated if they haven't been vaccinated. Um, but it looks like as these viruses mutate, they become more infectious but less dangerous. So uh, that's probably good news. Thanks so much, Vahan Janjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Another dose of Personal Finance Wednesday for couples. Setting money goals can be challenging as men tend to see investing as a hobby while women see it as a chore. Instead of focusing on numbers, couples might find more success working together, planning their financial future. Christine Benz is here, Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar here in Chicago. Uh, Christine, talk about this dynamic in couples. You do have some who really value it. I mean, they, they really absolutely love investing and then there's others that they just dread that conversation or even having to think about it that's right cisco and, and by the way it's not always the guy who is the one who is more interested in investing often it is but it's often the women and the guy is the one who's just not that into it so getting couples on the same page is important and it's not as though they both need to be hobbyists they don't both need to be really into it but if your spouse is the partner who isn't that into it you do need to make sure that they at least have a basic read on your household financial situation they know where to find the crucial documents they know about how much they have they know about how much they could spend per year if something were to happen they know where the liquid assets are so focus on the basics tmi is often a problem in these situations too much information don't overload the spouse who isn't that interested and yet uh, you know it's tough to talk about this because it, no one really wants to think about it but uh, when we're thinking you know at some point one member of the uh, the couple there is going to pass away and if they're the one that doesn't have any idea about any of those investments that can create a really really big challenge well, it can. And another problem is that our skills atrophy, if we're not doing any of this stuff, if we're not, say, the primary bill payer in our household, we might forget how all of this works. So it is important to read your spouse into what's going on with your financial plan. And importantly, I think if you have a spouse who has no interest in financial matters, identify some sort of financial professional to work with him or her. Because one thing we do know is that it takes some acumen to pick a good quality financial advisor. And if your spouse is not engaged with financial matters, he or she might be inclined to respond to kind of softer factors like the person who's who's nicer and have, sort of has the better bedside manner. That person may not be the good quality financial advisor. So do that preliminary homework, find that backup person and say, here's who I want you to call if something happens to me. Do you find that, that couples working together tend to strike a balance when it comes to, uh, you, you have some that, that maybe are, are much bigger on spending, others much bigger on saving. And if you work together, maybe you, you get just a, I don't know, better balance here. 
Well, I think so. And I think what you're striving for as part of a couple is you want to try to rise to the highest common denominator. So if you have a person who is more financially savvy, the better saver, ideally he or she is guiding the conversation and bringing the partnership to kind of a better place together. That's an ideal. It doesn't always work. We know that couples frequently fight about money, and this is a frequent bone of contention in a lot of relationships. Thanks so much. Good insight from Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar here in Chicago. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are many numbers you probably know. Phone number, credit card numbers, bank account numbers. One you should keep track of. It has significant impact on your life. Your credit score. Beverly Harzog is here. Consumer finance analyst with U.S. News and World Report based in Atlanta. Uh, Beverly, I mean, there's really no way to stress that too much, right? Your credit score, it really matters. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you have a great credit score, you're going to save so much money on many areas of your life. And so when people take it for granted and they assume it's not really something that matters, it can impact, I mean, insurance, getting a loan, getting a mortgage. I mean, it can really impact just about everything. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you've got a really high score, you're going to get the best rates for a new mortgage, for instance, and that can save you thousands over the life of the loan. So it's very important to pay attention to your credit score. And, you know, in our survey, you know, we found that most people weren't really clear about how their credit card balances affects their credit scores. And talk about that. How do balances impact credit scores? Yeah. Okay. So you're, uh, you have something called a credit utilization ratio, and that's the amount of credit you've used compared to the amount you have available. It's just a ratio. And so if you have a, a ratio higher than about 30%, it's going to lower your credit score. But I will give, uh, you know, your listeners an insider tip here. Keep your utilization below 10%. Most people who have credit scores higher than 800, uh, keep their, uh, ratios down around 10%. So that's a way to do more rapidly. But our survey showed that almost four in 10 uh, believe that a high credit card balance increased their credit score. And that is uh, incorrect. It is the opposite. So that's why you want to have a low, low ratio. And the lower your credit card balances are, the lower your ratio will be. And that's where, I guess along those lines, some people think that carrying a balance and paying something on it every month, that that is good for your credit score. But it's every bit as good just to pay it off every month. Oh, you absolutely want to pay your bill in full by the due date every single month. There's a myth that's been going on for a really long time uh, that you have to carry a balance in order to boost your credit score or even to build a credit score, and that's not true. Uh, you can really earn a great credit score for free. You don't have to pay compound interest on it, so just pay your bill in full, and that way you don't uh, risk getting into debt as well. So going forward, as people think about credit utilization, what's the best way to monitor that, to, to know where you are, what percentage you're in? Well, I always suggest anyway, it's good practice to get online and check your credit card account to make sure you don't see any fraudulent purchases, especially now during the holiday season. And, you know, just be sure that, you know, you're within your credit utilization ratio that you want to be, which needs to be under 30%. So this is something that you can just kind of eyeball. All right. And if you do have a high ratio, there's a couple of things you can do. The, the most um, dramatic way to lower it is to pay down some of that 
debt. So with the new year coming, you might want to focus on that to really get your ratio down. And advice for people who are going to be putting a lot on credit cards at the holidays as they buy gifts. What, what should they do to make sure it doesn't end up really dinging the credit score? Well, that's a very good point, because if you're going to run up your balance a little bit to earn rewards, your score might dip a little bit. But if you, as long as you pay your bill in full by the due date, you don't carry a balance on these new purchases, uh, over a couple of months, your score will bounce back. So just keep that in mind because, you know, it can be a good strategy to use your cards in order to earn the rewards if you're using them strategically. You know, just be aware that you don't want to apply for, like, for instance, to refinance your mortgage or, for, or to get a car loan anytime before that score can bounce back to normal. So just keep that in mind. Thanks so much, Beverly Harzog, Consumer Finance Analyst, U.S. News and World Report. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.